Katya. And I'm Rin. And we're here at the Commonwealth Center for Holistic Herbalism in Boston, Massachusetts. And on the internet everywhere, thanks to the power of the podcast. Woohoo! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, this week we have an extra long episode for you. Uh, we, we missed one. We missed a week there. Uh, <laughs> but we got a little extra long one for you to make up for it. Uh, this week we're going to be talking about saw palmetto berry. And, more broadly than that, about how this herb and all of the herbs... Don't check your gender before they go to work in your system. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, we we have these herbs that we say are for men or for women. And uh, I think that the herbs are probably like, excuse me, I, what? I'm here for myself. Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. here for the earth. Yeah. Yeah. And so so first off, we want to just, just acknowledge that there's no need to say that. Herbs herbs are for people or actually herbs are for themselves herbs, are, herbs can be with people in many ways yeah yes right yes. <laughs> so yeah we're gonna dig into all of that uh break down some binaries and try to explore that a bit yes and also try to explore a little bit our own like our own biases that we have as we learn about herbs um, you know, based on the first thing that we heard or whatever else. And mm. how do we break those down so that we can let new information come in and keep learning? Yeah. So that'll be our dive today. But first, let's give you our reclaimer. That's where we tell you that we are not doctors. We are herbalists and holistic health educators. The ideas discussed in this podcast do not constitute medical advice. No state or federal authority licenses herbalists in the United States. So these discussions are for educational purposes only. We want to remind you that good health doesn't mean the same thing for everyone. Good health doesn't exist as an objective standard. It's influenced by your individual needs, experiences, and goals. So we're not trying to present a dogmatic right way that you should adhere to. Everybody's body is different, so the things that we're talking about may or may not apply directly to you. But we hope that they'll give you some good information to think about and some ideas to research further. Finding your way to better health is both your right and your own personal responsibility. This doesn't mean you're alone on the journey, but it does mean that the final decision when considering any course of action, whether it's discussed on the internet or prescribed by a physician, is always yours to make. Yes. Yeah. You know, one other thing before we launch in is we want to thank Mountain Rose Herbs um, for sponsoring our podcast. Yeah. Uh, we are so grateful to them, uh, not just for sponsoring our podcast, but also for providing great herbal products. Yes, indeed. <laughs> uh, and uh, because Saw Palmetto is our topic today, and because it's so common to see saw palmetto as a capsule, and um, frequently that's it. That's like the only way that we come across it. Mm. I want to point out that mountainroseherbs.com actually has saw palmetto in every form that you could want it, right? They do have capsules that they encapsulate themselves. They have um, powdered saw palmetto berry. They have whole saw palmetto berries. Well, actually, like um, kind of... Chopped. Crushed, crushed Chopped a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, cut and sifted. Right. And then they have saw palmetto extract, a tincture that they make in-house. Yeah. I feel like they've really expanded their um, line of, of in-house tinctures in the last few years. Yes. Uh, pretty substantially. So, yes. Yeah. Lots of options. And uh, if you were interested in exploring saw palmetto in all of its fullness, you would be really delighted to find somewhere that you could get it as a tincture and a capsule and a powder and dried berry bits. Right. Uh, and so thanks, that's actually <laughs> that's actually something that we're going to talk about throughout mm -hmm. the course of, of this episode. So um, 
I encourage you, if you are inspired to work with Saw Palmetto, to head on over to mountainreserves.com and get some in each form because the form actually matters and we don't have good data around all of it. So sometimes the only way to get good data is to try it yourself Mm -hmm. and you can. Cool. So one more time, that's mountainreserves.com. Thank you so much. Uh, You know, the material that we're going to share here is material that we wanted to include in um, the reproductive health course that we are launching right now. And we really wanted to start this course off with this concept of challenging our own ideas that we're coming to this material with. You know, we all have these ideas around reproductive health and not all of them are serving us. And so before we sit down and really try to learn about reproductive health, um, we kind of need to to let go of things, of ideas that aren't serving us, like that things can be for men or women and not people. <laughs> um, so... So if this captures your attention and you'd like to dig deeper, then you should check out our course on reproductive health. You can find that and all of our course offerings at online.commonwealthherbs.com. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's dig in. So Saw Palmetto has a great reputation when it comes to <laughs> when it comes to one particular problem. Uh, so this problem is called BPH or benign prostatic hyperplasia, and that basically just means that the prostate has gotten swollen. And there's a set of symptoms that comes along with that. Um, There can be feelings of urinary urgency, feeling like you need to pee, also an inability to completely empty the bladder. And so you get this very frustrating situation where you have to pee often and you never feel like you're all the way emptied. And uh, it often wakes you up multiple times at night Mm -hmm. and it's it's really disruptive. Um, So this is a a very common uh, issue that's uh, suffered by a great many folks. Usually people say that it's suffered by men who are, you know, in getting older in age and all of that. But it turns out this lots of people can run into this issue, mm-hmm. you know. So uh, the thing about saw palmetto is that, yeah, it is helpful for that problem. And we're going to talk about some reasons why. But it has applications that are much broader than just this one pathology or indeed the prostate itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, this urban, it turns out, is not actually just for men. <laughs> and it's not just for prostates. Right? Yeah, uh, we like to think of saw palmetto as a pelvic floor astringent. So in that regard, it's going to be active also on the bladder, on all of the tubes, whichever tubes we're talking about here, whether that's the tubes um, even from the kidneys to the bladder or the um, urethra and the ureter. Uh, but there's other tubes happening in this pelvic area as well. Um, uh, saw palmetto has action on the musculature and the connective tissues that hold all these organs in place. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, if you just sort of think about your pelvic region, your pelvic, like basically everything kind of under under your intestines and before uh, your before your pelvic floor, all of that stuff, uh, saw palmetto can be really astringent here, and actually even that is too specific. As we go on, we're going to find that that Sao Palmetto has other actions that don't have anything to do with the pelvic region whatsoever. Yeah. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. So if we were to to look at this first and and give you our impressions of the herb um, and look at this 
in a sort of materia medica kind of a way, mm. we'd say, first off, this herb has an interesting set of qualities because it's warming and also it's got a moistening quality to it. And yet it also has a tonifying effect. And oftentimes that combination, especially of moistening and tonifying can really be something to perk your ears up about. Um, because we generally think of moistening herbs as like helping water to be there and tonifying herbs as like squeezing out or astringing out yeah. excess fluid. So when we see both qualities in the same plant, something intriguing is going on. Yeah, yeah it's really important also to recognize this because uh, often we have people who are really dehydrated, really depleted, and we want to do work to help them. But in our culture right now, it is possible to be both damp physiologically right because of um because of a lack of movement a lack of uh lymphatic flow and so everything is sort of stagnating mm. and also dry because we we all have this tendency to underhydrate. <laughs> everybody's running a little depleted so when we have an herb like this that's moistening and tonifying it means that we can deal with that stagnation help to move the fluids out of a place where there's too much, uh, but without drying the person out as a whole. Mm. If you think about somebody with a body like Rin's, if we were going to work with, say, let's say you had BPH and we were going to work with straight up nettle root, which is just super astringent and super drying, mm -hmm. you wouldn't be able to do that for more than a day or two before you would start to feel super uncomfortable. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Now we could do it, but we'd have to compensate, right? Mm -hmm. We'd have to say, well, we've got a really drying herb in here. We've got to get a moistening herb in there to, to compensate for that. And it can be done. It's the magic of herbal formulation yeah. and a yeah. well-rounded protocol. Uh, but in the herb itself, right, it's going to have that, that kind of mismatch to the body, mm -hmm. right? So sapa meadow, if, it's, if we're doing a single herb choice for someone, that would be a much better choice for somebody like me. Now, if we look at the actions of this herb, we're going to be investigating these in a little more detail as we go along, but just as like a starter set, <laughs> we see this herb being nutritive. We see it having tonic effects. And actually, I mean, pretty much all of the meanings of the term tonic. So if you're familiar with how that can sometimes mean astringent and it can sometimes mm -hmm. mean like general restorative herb. And sometimes it can mean like restoring a specific quality or, yeah. or uh, energy in the body. Actually, this one, it hits all of those definitions at the same time. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of, I feel like it's kind of unusual. Maybe yeah. you can get two of them, but getting all of them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Also, um, the fact that this herb is antispasmodic in certain contexts, but can also be tonifying or tightening mm -hmm. in other contexts, mm -hmm. that also is very interesting and kind of unusual for a single plant to have both powers. Um, so there, this herb also can be a diuretic. It can be an antiseptic to the urinary tract in particular. Uh, a nice anti-inflammatory for all your pelvic organs. Um, and we think of this in some ways being amphoteric, right? Balancing, because we, again, we've got that astringency, squeezing out fluids and that oily moisture to it, right? Mm. Replenishing healthy fluids and getting them in a good balance. Um, so it has these kind of, these balancing powers to it. And uh, you'll also see the term anabolic often applied to this plant. We're gonna kind of poke on that one a little bit. Uh, anabolic means like building or or uh, restorative in that in that kind of uh, tissue tissue maintenance sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean that is you know I think the the place where people hear this word most commonly is with like anabolic steroids. steroids yeah, but it has the same meaning there too. Like mm -hmm. build me bigger muscles, build me bigger stuff, right? And yeah. so anabolic is like in the like like building up kind of meaning there. For sure, for sure. Uh, we'll also see uh, this herb does have some 
other uh, effects that are outside of your, your reproductive system. Mm -hmm. um, has an expectorant quality to it, and it can be a digestive tonic in there in the sense of like restoring normal function and improving good di digestive uh, fire, that kind yeah. of activity. Yeah. yeah. Um, when we look at affinities for this herb, we see, a, of course, a strong affinity for your pelvic floor, your pelvic floor organs, pelvic floor organs, yeah, <laughs> um, and especially for the urinary and the reproductive systems in there, yeah. Pelvic floor organs. <laughs> right, right. Uh, some specifics on a few of those activities, right? Again, that antiseptic power, that's in that urinary system. Um, a lot of that's becoming uh, or arising because of its effects on the bladder itself, where it's toning up that tissue, helping that to have good integrity, right? Uh, when this system gets infected, it starts to lose integrity, uh, especially in the barriers, like the linings and that kind of mm -hmm. thing. Um, Supplement also seems to help promote good, healthy, strong contractions of the bladder so that you can fully empty it, right? Remember, one of those big uh, symptoms of BPH uh, is that inability to empty all the way. But this is kind of pointing us to say that it's not just that one problem, but if there are other issues mm -hmm. of an inability to fully empty or to feel like you've, you've done what you needed to do uh, into the body, <laughs> then yeah, this is going to be a helpful plant. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a few instances where that could happen um, in bodies without prostates or... Um, well, yeah, let me just leave it in, in that realm of examples for a minute here. Yeah. We can think of prolapsed bladder. Um, we can think of interstitial cystitis, but actually both of those things, I was going to say, both of those things actually could happen in a person with a prostate as well. Those, oh, yeah, those are true. both things mm -hmm. that could actually happen to any person. Yeah. Um, I personally think about prolapsed bladder a little bit more like in tandem with prolapsed uterus. Um, but it's actually, right. you can have a bladder prolapse without a uterus too. Mm -hmm. um, so both of those kinds of situations could also be causing that inability to feel like you've fully emptied your bladder or actually the complete inability to fully empty your bladder, especially if we're talking about bladder prolapse, maybe you get kind of just a, like a little bit of a fold, not like a full on kink in the bladder. I don't mean it that way, but just like kind of like a little a little sagginess in the bladder mm -hmm. and then yeah. like some stuff gets kind of stuck and doesn't quite get over the hump, you know, to get all the way out and strengthening those contractions is going to help all of it come up and out. Uh, plus if we are like adding that astringency to the pelvic floor region, that's also going to assist in bringing the bladder back into place. It's not like it's going to crank it all the way back up to its original factory preset condition right <laughs> um but it is gonna like give it just a little just a little lift you know and that that helps as well yeah right so yeah and those those kind of nourishing tonifying effects they're going to extend to the whole reproductive system mm -hmm. you know um so this herb has long been recognized as a tissue building plant that it can really rebuild help to kind of plump up <laughs> dry or atrophied <laughs> tissues Think of that moistening quality that it carries, right? And again, this is where that idea of it being an anabolic herb uh, is expressed most clearly. Mm -hmm. um, uh, one of our, our herbal reference books that we like a lot uh, was commenting that the herb strengthens and builds body tissues and encourages weight gain, and that it can be given to people who are suffering from wasting illnesses and a general failure to thrive. Um, so again, that's pretty far removed from only take it for BPH, right? <laughs> right? Like here we're thinking of somebody who's maybe got some 
uh, digestive difficulty, perhaps, and that's inhibiting their ability to access nutrients and to like build that body. We can think of specific cases where there's been atrophy to a tissue from poor circulation, from you know malnourishment of a specific kind to that to that organ or that tissue. And here we're seeing it get you know full and healthy and get your juices flowing and all that kind yeah. of good stuff going on. I even think about like. If you think about failure to thrive and strengthening tissue, and then think about those words like in a more modern context, digestively, are we maybe talking about leaky gut, you know? And then we're looking at a plant that has this astringent action and this ability to to restore tissue. Um, And that's actually what we need in, in leaky gut where everything is like, sort of like kind of falling a little bit apart from itself and there's like Mm. holiness going on well if we can suck that up a little bit like like everybody looks sharp right then that is um gonna allow you to absorb nutrition from your food much more easily yeah you know it's it's an interesting example because like a lot of times that problem is going to come with some spasms as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and the same is actually true down in the, in the reproductive organs, the urinary organs. So like with saw palmetto, um, we're talking about those tonifying effects, like getting things into place. But at the same time, the herb has antispasmodic effects and there can be like spasmodic issues with the bladder, with the muscles and, mm-hmm. and the connectives there where they're, they're spasming they're They're like, you know, jittering like this. And supplemental can help, right? That can be one of the things that contributes to that feeling of, oh, I need to pee, right? Often, mm-hmm. uh, spasm, right? And the herb can relieve the spasm, which is like a, usually a relaxing action, but it can also help with things that are too lax and get them back into place. Right. So we're seeing that kind of amphoteric or like balancing quality going on here. And if you maybe are someone or know someone who has a diagnosis for MS and one of their uh, symptoms uh, include spastic bladder, then your ears might be perking up and saying like, well, I've never seen anybody say that saw palmetto is an herb for MS. And yet like, (laughs) again, it's that it isn't an herb for MS. It's that we're looking at the symptom set. We're looking at what's going on in this body and what do we need to do to make life more comfortable in this body? Yeah. That's an example of a case where like, having a label or having a having an understanding of like the dominant problem in a given mm-hmm. case makes us say everything has to be filtered through that lens like for somebody with ms quotes to take an herb for ms quotes like those are the only ones they should be working on and if right. it's if saw palmetto isn't on my list of herbs for ms somewhere then well clearly it's not appropriate to my problem right right, right. but that's really a different approach a uh, different view from what we're taking here yeah yeah so, you know, you're, we're seeing already some seemingly contradictory things here, right? They, they seem to be contradictory on the surface. Um, and I guess we've already been kind of showing ways that you can look at it from yeah. a lower angle and like see where it, it actually does make sense. But, but, but if all you did was just read that straight through and not, you know, you ha- maybe that was all printed in a book somewhere. Actually, a lot of this uh, uh, we're, we'll read different <laughs> things that are printed in books and they're going to have tons of contradictory things. Mm-hmm. Um, but if all you did was read in a book and you, you were reading fast, it was late, you were tired, you were trying, you were, maybe you wouldn't question that all that contradicted. But then if you didn't question it, then you wouldn't really understand how is this herb actually working? Or maybe you would read it and say like, you know, and I think this is very common in our sort of um, conventional culture that is very 
I, I don't really want to say science dominated because we really like science, but but maybe that sort of skepticism dominant where you read something and it all looks contradictory on the surface and you're like, well, that's just a bunch of magical thinking. Um, Instead of like, no, there is an explanation for this and it's even a sciencey one, but we have to like really sort of pick it apart and think it through slowly to be able to find it. Yeah, yeah. It didn't jive with some preconceptions. Yeah. Right, right. Right. And again, you're not always aware of those <laughs> preconceptions <laughs> when you have those thoughts, right? That's why uh, Tammy says, don't believe everything you think. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. Another favorite quote of mine. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, but, you know, let's take a minute uh, and go back in time and look a little bit at the history of this herb and some older writings about it uh, and see what we can discover there. I feel like we need to just take a minute and, like, put on hats and, like... History hats. Fancy yeah. history clothes right, right. and, uh, you know, maybe a nice cane or an ascot <laughs> sure. or something. Uh, right well, on. anyway. <laughs> yeah. uh, so this herb uh, in the world, it's native to what today we call Florida. <laughs> right? That area, that part of the world. Um, and it's it's been uh, historically and traditionally uh, important and still is important to the people who live there, right? Like the Seminole Nation um, and other surrounding peoples. Uh, and when we look at what we know or what we what information we've got from the field of ethnobotany, uh, then we can see some interesting things in there, right? For instance, there's uh, references in that kind of literature to the Seminole and other folks working with powdered uh, dried berries, sopalmetto berries, for urinary problems, respiratory problems, and digestive problems. Um, three areas where we've we're going to see other folks kind of like building on that mm-hmm. on that foundation, right? Um, also, uh, there's a reference to this herb being taken to increase milk in nursing mothers, mm-hmm. right? And if today we're looking at that and we're immediately thinking, oh, whoa, whoa, pro- pro- prolactin, that's a right. hormone, <laughs> right? It's probably doing something with that hormone, right? Okay, let's hold that for a moment. Um, there were a lot of other applications for the herb. Um, like many plants, uh, it wasn't all about medicine, right? It wasn't all about food, even. Um, there, there were some medicinal applications aside from the berry. Uh, it turns out that the inner bark uh, was applied topically as a poultice for inflammation, for infections, for bites and stings. Um, so, you know, a number of different uh, applications for the bark of the, of the palmetto there. And then fiber, you know, uh, for basketry and so on. And here we give that like two sentences, but... It was really important. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. In a living off the land kind of a a situation, um, plants that make great fiber are the difference between life and death. I mean... Yeah. It turns out that string, uh, string and rope are really, really important. And also baskets, because now you can carry things. You don't have to just sort of like juggle. Yeah, like you can carry a whole harvest of palmetto berries home in your palmetto basket. Yep. (laughs) Great. Yep. All right. Um, So moving on forward a little bit. uh, Actually, I have a quote here uh, from a book from 1911. And this is a book from John Uri Lloyd. And uh, this one isn't like a straight herbal. It's like a a history of the herbs that uh, this person and his colleagues worked with. These were folks who would be referred to as either eclectics or physiomedicalists um, in the the kind of history of uh, medicine in in America in particular. Um, And that was uh, a group of folks who were really active in basically the 1800s, a little before, a little after as well. Um, uh, And this was a time when they were... 
they were the doctors. They were the, the leading medical authorities. Mm. Um, and they, they worked with the best physiology that they had at the time. And they worked with herbs as their, as their primary medicines. So, again, this is a book about the history of their herbs. And, and what, what uh, Lloyd was writing here uh, was that the berry of the saw palmetto practically unknown in medicine before 1879. Okay, yeah. so um, <laughs> practically unknown by white guys. That's that's what that means, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, came racket, rapidly into conspicuity, both in pharmacy and in medicine after that date. It had been observed by the settlers of the South that animals feeding on the matured fruit grew very sleek and fat, a fact that was ascribed to the therapeutic qualities of the berries, reasoning from which they prepared a decoction of the fruit for domestic medication. And then he goes on to talk about some specific doctors, uh, MDs and whatever, who um, started to work with it and found different preparations for it, um, and then shared that uh, information in their little medical journal newsletter things that they, <laughs> that they sent around to each other, um, and that it became popular uh, you know, really rapidly after that. Yeah, they, they were posting it on Facebook. Right, exactly. Yeah. That's exactly what was happening. Yeah. <laughs> so look, big, big, bold note here. This is not to be taken as a settled fact or as the whole story, because it's not, right? It's extremely likely, in our opinion, uh, I'd say definitely the case, that <laughs> what really happened here was that indigenous herbalists shared their knowledge about this plant with settlers or with slaves, uh, and, then, uh, and then it was passed on uh, to other white people from there. Yeah. yeah. You know, one other thing as a note there uh, is that uh, when we think about animals who grow sleek and fat, um, that doesn't necessarily translate directly into human bodies, right? So when we're talking about like animal stewardship and we're, we're thinking about, you know, like, hmm, just think about if you've been to the park uh, in the fall and you see like a plump squirrel and like all of his fur is in great shape and like looks very well tended to and like he's he's well groomed or she you know whatever it's little squirrel friendly little squirrel and like the tail is really puffy and uh you know everything is just plump about this squirrel and you're like that's a squirrel it's gonna be warm this winter um that is an indication of overall good nourishment for a squirrel um, so, so like that kind of a description in an animal is, ah, this animal is well-nourished and healthy. Um, but that, that doesn't necessarily translate, like it is not, it's not going to make you fat. Like I don't, uh -huh. you know. Yeah, right, <laughs> yeah. right. Um, yeah. <laughs> I can imagine someone being turned off from working with Sao Palmetto upon that description. Right, mm -hmm. right, right. Yeah, I hear yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. All right. I mean, but also later that's going to be relevant because they're going to, they're going to take that like sleek and fatness and be like, oh, let's plump everything up, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So um, uh, like I mentioned, this was uh, an author from the, the era of the eclectics and the physiomedicalists. And uh, a number of authors from that period wrote about, uh, about Sal Palmetto. Um, as an example, um, the author William Bloyer, writing in 1896, had a number of interesting things to say. So we're, I'm going to read a, a somewhat extended quote here, and then we're going to have commentary on it as we go along. Yeah. All right. I'll try not to comment <laughs> until the end of it. Yeah, you know, it's good. <laughs> so uh, Bloyer says, For some time, Sopalmetto's been used as a general tonic. It aids digestion, digestion, promotes assimilation and nutrition, 
and consequently, a rapid gain in strength follows its use. Mm, that sounds pretty good. Strength, yes. I mean, that also sounds logical, right? If you eat food, you get strong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, sedative and diuretic properties have also been ascribed to it, and it is said, too, to act as a special, special tonic, sedative, and expectorant to the mucous membrane of the respiratory apparatus. So we've already got digestive quality, urinary quality, respiratory quality. And here, I think the definition of of this use of the word special is like especially, mm-hmm. you know, it, it acts particularly as a tonic, right. um, not like as, you know, your, Gold star, yeah, shiny sparkles. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> okay. Uh, it goes on to say, besides these, it exerts a special vitalizing action upon the reproductive organs of both the male and the female. It's just right there, both the male and the female. Okay. Uh, it increases the functional activity of the whole reproductive system. All right. And then later it goes on to say, the saw palmetto on account of its tonic effects, together with its special diuretic action, becomes an efficient remedy in many urinary troubles. In this respect, it is said to be the friend of the old man, the most positive remedy we possess for the relief of some of the difficulties that beset the declining years of about four-fifths of our old men. Uh, That's interesting to me in part because this is a good reference point for um, uh, a period in time uh, like our own when uh, this problem uh, is common Mm -hmm. amongst the men of the society, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, it's an open question to some extent whether this extends all the way back in human history, right? And if we talk to some of our uh, hunter-gathering ancestors, uh, if they had these kind of urinary difficulties as they aged, maybe not, because they walk a lot and they squat a lot and they move their right? bodies in various by ways. 18, by, what was it, 1896? Uh, yeah. Yeah, by then, uh, people in this country were not squatting to eliminate anymore. They were sitting on outhouse benches mm-hmm. to to pee and poop. Mm-hmm. And um, part of my understanding of BPH, sort of my clinical understanding of BPH, is that the more you squat, the less of a problem BPH is. Mm-hmm. And so if they were seeing, like, we can't, we can't just go back to 1896 and say, oh, I guess this has always been a problem. Y'all, 1896 was really not very long ago. <laughs> My own grandmother was born in 1898. So uh, not that long ago. Yeah. Um, but uh, it, when we, when we look at that, we have to think about that from the whole cultural standpoint and be like, well, why would four fifths of them be seeing something that we also are seeing commonly. Mm-hmm. Okay, they didn't necessarily have a sedentary lifestyle the same that we do, but already some movements had fallen out of human behaviors in that place in that time. Mm-hmm. Necessary human behavior, right? Squatting to eliminate is necessary for pelvic floor health. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is a rant that you can... Uh, <laughs> you can hear more of in the musculoskeletal health course and also the urinary health course because I'm really on about it. We have to squat. <laughs> yeah. um, but but just to be clear that that already was a problem then. Right, right. You know, it's interesting because Blair goes on to say here, we are not sure why it is so valuable in these cases. Many of these are attributed to an enlarged prostate and when improvement follows the administration of palmetto, it is said to have reduced the size of the prostate gland. Of such action, we are not positive. An enlarged prostate, together with the lessened muscular force due to age or debility, prevents a complete emptying of the bladder. The residual urine becomes stale, decomposed, and vesicle irritation follows, and with it a number of distressing symptoms. 
Now, we believe that the tonic effect of the saw palmetto increases the powers of contraction of the muscular fibers of the bladder, so there is less sagging down behind the prostate. Less prolapse. Right. Yeah. 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 But also, I want to note that that is true today as well. Like when we get to the modern conventional scientific understanding of saw palmetto, today we also notice that like, oh, saw palmetto doesn't actually decrease the size of the prostate. It just reduces or eliminates the symptoms. Like mm -hmm. it, different studies have different ranges of reduction. Right. And my feeling on that is nobody's going to get down there and measure your prostate with like a measuring tape. And right. so if your symptoms are gone, excellent. Yeah. yeah. And there could even be an effect where like, okay, the prostate is, it, it's a tube essentially, right? So maybe it's swollen uh, and maybe some of the effects of the supplemento are happening on the inner, inner tube, <laughs> right? right? That's going through the middle of it. And like, it, it's still remaining swollen on the outside, but like there's a little more space on the inner part. Yeah. That could be part of what's going on as well. And also the swelling here in hyperplasia is not the same swelling as a sprained ankle, right? It is not only swelling due to increased fluid just hanging around, there is some, but part of the swelling is actually enlargement, uh, an increased number of cells themselves. Um, so not, it, it, it's not just like it has puffed up. It actually has also grown. Well, okay. It grew like thyroids grow sometimes too. When they, you know, there are different types of problems with thyroid where the thyroid is saying, oh, I better grow more of me because I'm not as effective as I used to be. Whatever. That's a whole different, right. Right. whole different issue. But, um, it, it may not be necessary to shrink it as long as the pressure is not, uh, on the ureter anymore. Right, right. So, you know, Bloyer, Bloyer says, uh, in short, it's through this general tonic effect rather than through a specific action reducing the size of the prostate that it becomes the most positive remedy possessed uh, in these old men's troubles. Mm -hmm. So, um, again, it's a, it's, it's, he's presenting this as a, as a theory or as a, as like his determination of what he thinks is going on. All right, some other things from this uh, 1896 book. The special vitalizing action of saw palmetto affects the reproductive organs generally. The memi, the breasts, under its continued use, increase in size. The atrophied uterus and its inactive appendages are awakened, and by it, hold on. Oh, don't even, ah! Just hold on, hold on. By it, the cold female is aroused from her sexual lassitude. In the male, the action of saw palmetto is just as prompt and efficient. The cold, atrophied testes and penile organ, even when in part due to masturbation or varicocele, which is a, like a varicose vein on the scrotum, uh, are given new life and a more generous supply of blood through the influence of saw palmetto. Waning sexual power is restored, impotence is dethroned, and man is made new. <laughs> oh, so dramatic. <laughs> I, I can't yeah, even. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we got a few things going on here, but uh, pay attention to some of the energetics language, right? Um, the, the eclectics, the physiomedicalists, they didn't always say this is a warming herb. We use it for cold conditions, but sometimes that language does kind of sneak in here. Mm -hmm. So here we're talking about the cold female or male, you know, person or, or organs in particular. Um, and essentially the, the claim here is that it's sort of going to warm things up in this here region. Yeah. It really sounds, um, disgusting. Yeah. But, uh, but actually if we if we just look at it energetically, like 
cold slow down of function and um some people would not like to have sexual lassitude some people would like to increase their libido and um you know if there is a cold state of of depression or slowing down of the libido uh then you know this one particular way that this person wrote the sentence is ghastly (laughs) but what this is really saying is if you feel that you would like to increase your libido and your libido is low because of cold stagnant situations this could help yeah uh, and again here, Bloyer is a little uncertain about some of these uh, claims, right? He says, looking at all of these things as we do, we cannot explain why saw palmetto should increase the size of the mammae, the testes, the reproductive organs generally, and yet reduce the size of the prostate. Uh, we do not believe that it does, but we are open to conviction. <laughs> uh, and it, it essentially ends like any other scientific study in the entire world, yes. uh, which says more study is required. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it's really worth thinking about this because aside from the sexual lassitude or whatever it was he said, uh, another thing that really irritated me reading this was the whole, like, it will increase your boobs because the, the first glance went in my own head reading that, uh, I just thought about the last time I was in San Antonio and literally every other billboard I saw, like, Every second billboard was a plastic surgeon advertising that women should have breast enlargement surgeries to make them more attractive. Mm-hmm. And so like that's the modern kind of thought when we see that sort of thing. But if you think about this in the historical context, and this is why like it's just so important to kind of check yourself and be like, mm, is this really what they were saying, even though it sounds terrible? Um, it, in the historical context, it's likely that what they were describing here with regard to the breasts was something more like resolves problems of depletion in mothers who don't have enough milk supply, right? Or even if we're talking about sexual lassitude, resolves the problem of not being able to reproduce Mm -hmm. um, in a society for whom reproduction was really vitally important. So we can take our issues with women only being defined by having babies. And let me tell you, I have a lot of issues about that. Mm -hmm. But especially if we're thinking in terms of milk supply, I can really see the value here. And honestly, I can also see it even when we're talking about, um, you know, not being able to have a baby because lots of people even today are sad that they can't have a baby. Lots of people would like to not be pressured to have babies and not be defined by whether or not they've had a baby, but also lots of people want to have them. Right. And, and these aren't actually in conflict at all. Right. right? Like people want to be able to make their own decisions and yes. that's it. Like how, okay. Yes. <laughs> so one thing, you know, to, to be aware of when we're reading these is that our modern biases aren't necessarily wrong, but we have them. And the way that they were writing is also not necessarily wrong. Sometimes we have to kind of like really interpret the language. And that is not the same as saying, well, it was a different time then and people just didn't know better, right? Like Mm. you hear that all the time about slavery and about all kinds of things that, let me tell you, people knew better. There were people who knew that slavery was wrong. There is no excuse. But, But sometimes when we, so that's not the stuff I'm talking about here. But in a case like this, the thing that was at the top of people's minds a hundred years ago is not necessarily the thing that's on the top of my mind today as I'm reading this. And the top of my mind today is, hey, 
I don't, you know, I don't want my friends to be pressured to have children. I don't want, like, I don't want as a woman to be defined by whether or not I had a child. Um, and, you know, is a very sort of feminist. And for that matter, I don't want a person who is asexual to feel defined about whether or not they are having sexual lassitude or not. Like, I just don't want anybody <laughs> right, to right. be defined by these factors. Um, I want us to be able to define ourselves in our own terms. But maybe 100 years ago, 150 years ago, somebody's top priority was, um, I really want to have a kid or I have had a child and I cannot nourish it. Mm -hmm. And um, so oh, it's hard to read historical texts, but but to think about it in all those ways, even when the first <laughs> in, the first thought is to be really mad or reviled about about something that you read. Yeah, 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 for sure. You know, so yeah, a lot of these actions are definitely from that nutritive quality. Yeah. You know, first and foremost. Yeah. Um, so we, like many uh, English-speaking herbalists, um, <laughs> often like to refer back to a book by uh, Ms. Ms. Maud Grieve uh, from 1931. <laughs> well, she was <clears throat> married, but I prefer to not define her by her marriage. There we go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. right on. Um, it's a it's an important book uh, in the the Western or the the American and British herbal traditions. Um, and in that book, uh, she's writing, and you can actually see some text that's that's honestly uh, no no shade or anything lifted straight out of some of those eclectic people. Mm -hmm. um, one of the first lines in her uh, section on medicinal actions and uses of, of saw palmetto, uh, where she says that it's uh, a diuretic, a sedative, and a tonic, she says it is milder and less stimulant than cubeb or copaiba, or even the oil of sandalwood. That sentence is lifted straight out of an eclectic text, and that's fine, <laughs> right? That's not a problem uh, <laughs> at all. But, um, you know, she goes on to say, uh, like these herbs, it has the power of affecting the respiratory mucous membrane, and it is used for many complaints, which are accompanied by chronic catarrh. That's like snot. Yeah. Like thick, gross mucus. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it has been claimed that sabal, which is one of the older names for saw palmetto, uh, is capable of increasing the nutrition of the testicles and mammae in functional atony of these organs. Basically saying when they're atrophied, uh, not fed, undernourished, underformed, then this herb can help to feed them and bring them back. And then she goes on to say, it probably acts by reducing catarrhal irritation and a relaxed condition of bladder and urethra. It is a tissue builder. Remember to look out for keywords like relaxed, because this doesn't mm -hmm. just mean like your bladder and urethra are chilling out, right? It means right. that they are lax, they are slack, they have lost the proper tone that they yeah. require. Saggy. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, and a more modern way to say catarrhal irritation, right? Like that's not a, that's not a word that even is easy to say, much less like catarrh. Yeah. Like it's not even useful in today's <laughs> speech or whatever. But listen, that translation of that in words that we work with today or that we would say today are is lymphatic stagnation or even rheumatic inflammation. Now, when we hear the word rheumatic, we think rheumatoid and then we think arthritis, but actually rheumatic is damp, stagnant inflammation, not just in the joints, it can be anywhere in the body. Edema would be rheumatic as well, right? Um, so, okay, good. If we think about the application for benign, for BPH, benign prosthetic hyperplasia, hyperplasia Hey, look, that has a stagnant component. It has that like 
too much fluid, not enough movement mm -hmm. kind of component. component. Mm -hmm. And also stay tuned because it's gonna turn out that prostates are not the only thing in your body that can have benign hyperplasia, right? We can see that in lots of places and I'm very <laughs> excited to talk about it, but hold on, we're not there yet. Yeah. So, you know, our takeaways uh, from looking at some of these uh, classic herbal books, you know, uh, historic traditions, folkloric traditions, uh, one key takeaway here is that they all report saw palmetto to be a genitourinary tonic in both sexes. And uh, again, that that fundamental fact is like really lost on, I don't know, uh, marketing for supplements yeah, <laughs> in, yeah. in the 2020s. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, today, today, I think it would be well in any day. It's not just today, but uh, today we acknowledge that it's more accurate to say that it's a genitourinary tonic in all people. There you go. Um, but OK. Yeah. Yeah. Good. And also another big takeaway here is that they were working with this herb for a lot of actions that are entirely unrelated to the reproductive organs and the pelvic floor, right? Mm -hmm. Remember those repeated references to this being a digestive tonic for the respiratory catar, right? Uh, and so again, this herb really, really got pigeonholed. Lots of herbs are susceptible to that, um, but certain plants have just gotten into a really tiny box and yeah. uh, sal palmetto is definitely one of them. Yeah. You know, and Saba Meadow actually is kind of a prickly plant. I'm surprised that uh, they managed <laughs> to get it into that little tiny box. Yeah. Okay. So let's take a minute and uh, look now at what the modern world uh, thinks about Saba Meadow. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And we can start by talking about um, its most famous uh, apparent molecular level mechanism of action. Oh, this is such a thing, right? Because when we talk about... Um, mechanism of action on this kind of a level, like the kind of mechanism of action you can only see through a microscope, we have to understand that whatever it is that we think we know is not the whole story. It's only what we've seen so far. Mm -hmm. um, there may be many other mechanisms of action. There may be many other kinds of cells involved in the situation. These are just the ones that we bothered to look at. Right. Um, right. So, yeah. Yeah, so if you go and you Google what does what does saw palmetto do, right, or how does saw palmetto help BPH, you're going to get something like this. Uh, the herb can cause an inhibition of the enzyme 5-alpha reductase, and this will then reduce the conversion of testosterone to dihydrotestosterone, or DHT. What? Okay. <laughs> so they're saying that uh, something in saw palmetto is inhibiting the activity of this particular enzyme. An enzyme does a transformation or a breaking down or a changing of some other chemical inside of your body, right? And what this 5-alpha reductase enzyme does uh, is that it would, uh, normally, it would take your testosterone and convert it into DHT. If you inhibit that conversion, if you inhibit that enzyme activity, then you reduce the amount of conversion of testosterone to DHT. Uh, in addition to that, something in saw palmetto seems to compete with DHT for what's called receptor site binding. Basically, any chemical in your body has to actually go to a cell and attach to it in order for its job to be done, for it to have its effect on that cell, right? If you can block those receptor sites, if you can fill in those sites where the DHT in this case would be doing its binding, then you can prevent it from having its effect on your system. And ideally what will happen at the same time is that it will get cleared out of the system and, and just be, you're done with it now, right? 
So what we have here is two different mechanisms that have currently been identified to effectively reduce DHT in the body. Yeah, reduce the, the signal, the, mm -hmm. the, uh, the, convi the conveyance of that signal in the system. Right. So what is DHT, <laughs> right? And why do, we, why do we want to reduce it? Well, um, excess amounts of DHT, right? Like your T to DHT ratio, <laughs> right? <laughs> when that gets too much DHT in your body, that can contribute to prostate swelling, um, and also some kinds of hair loss. And actually it turns out a number of other hormonal imbalances mm -hmm. in the body, right? Uh, and I think the word contribute is doing a lot of work there. It is. Um, because this is not necessarily the only cause. Right. Um, in fact, it is definitively not the only cause. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but it is a cause that has been identified. Right. And this cause has been identified because it's something that we can control. Yeah. Right? Like, right. that's how conventional m medical science works, is they identify a problem and then they say, well, let's find something we can control that contributes yeah. to this problem and then we'll control it. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. And we can't necessarily control how many Oreos a person eats. <laughs> but uh, we can make drugs yeah. that will change the way that DHT functions in the body and then we can sell them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That seems better to me. I don't need to be controlling people anyway. Um, <laughs> so, you know, there are multiple... I mean, I think that people should know that their choices about Oreos might play yeah, a role yeah. here. Yeah, we want to educate people rather yeah, than we... controlling them. Yeah, that seems yeah. like a That's true. general yeah. idea to me. Yeah, we, yeah. we want people to have the information that they need to choose uh, their own controls. There we go. That's, yeah. that's what's up. Yeah. yeah. So about this... And wait, wait, hold on. I'm done. Okay. To choose their own controls, even if the control that they choose is I'm eating the Oreos and I'm taking the pharmaceutical, that is a Absolutely. valid choice. Right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. So, you know, on this effect of like basically reducing DHT signaling in the body, there are many, many studies about that. We'll include a, a good review article um, in references for this, but... Uh, there are a lot out there. This has been really invest uh, intensively investigated. And this is where you're going to see people take away an idea that uh, saw palmetto can be anti-androgenic. Uh, androgens, the normal definition would be uh, hormones that cause the expression of male characteristics, something along those lines. Yeah. Uh, testosterone would be your most famous androgen. What they're basically saying is that DHT is like testosterone that's turned up in terms of its volume or its potency or its power in the body. Um, and so if you reduce the T to DHT conversion, you're reducing this overall androgenicity in your body, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and there are some uh, folks who have taken that concept and really run with it. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, in doing some research, I came across this product called Testo Quench which uh, Testo Quench for Women uh, that claims to be an androgen, androgen antagonist formula. Um, and I could do a whole hour just on that alone mm. and the ingredients of this particular formulation and, and other things. But um, but, it, the, but the approach that the, they're taking with right. the formula, right? The idea is we're going to get a bunch of herbs in here that are going to interfere with androgen signaling. They're going to block androgens or maybe try to reduce your production of them. Yeah. Um, and we'll, we'll see why this approach is taken and why it's associated with saw palmetto um, as we look at some, some other studies as we go along here. Yeah, and it's, um, you know, that in this they're targeting maybe people with PCOS uh, and even specifically people with PCOS who are 
displaying some of these androgen mediated um, characteristics, like um, maybe more hair growth, for example, mm -hmm. and and who don't want those, right. um, who who would prefer not to have that type of hair growth. Right. Um, so, I don't want to say that like the desire to to modify that that um, those expressions in the body is wrong. Um, I can't necessarily get behind that particular product, <laughs> um, but um, but there are a lot of different approaches to manage symptoms like that that are unwanted, right. and androgen antagonism is not the only way to do it. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Okay. Or, so and wait, and one other sentence there, <laughs> and saw palmetto's if helpfulness in that regard, in that cascade of symptoms, is also not only because of its perceived ability to be an androgen antagonist that may play some role, but that's not the only factor that's going on. Here. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, right. now I got it all. Up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you know, when we when we get this kind of like microscopic mechanism of action that usually comes together with some constituents that are supposed to be responsible for that action, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. uh, in this case, when you look at saw palmetto uh, from a phytochemistry standpoint, you see this is one of those plants that makes a lot of fatty acids. Um, and if you were to grab a berry and squeeze it, you'd be like, this feels oily, <laughs> right? Yeah, they're kind of gross. It's the presence of those fatty acids. Yeah, it's one you definitely don't want to um, let it like rot or go bad near you because, you know, how rotting fat smells, it's not great, yeah, right? Yeah, it would be awesome. Yeah. So anyway, there's some free fatty acids in there, and then there are some that are bound up uh, with another compound called a phytosterol, um, and most famously, beta-cetosterol is one uh, that we're going to investigate here. And then those can get bound up together and form what are called liposterols. And we're going to see that term come up a lot uh, in the folks who are looking at these molecular mechanisms. Mm. Um, okay. But the thing that I would like to point out here, though, is that not everything the herb does is actually explained by hormonal mechanisms. In fact, there was a scientific study from 1999 about salt palmetto shrinking the epithelium of the prostate, kind of the, the tissue around the edges of it. Um, and in that one, they concluded that saw palmetto was beneficial in reducing the swelling of prostate tissues by an unidentified but non-hormonal mechanism uh, in patients with BPH. Um, so I found that to be particularly worth like pausing a moment on uh, because pretty much every other study about saw palmetto is going to be all me mediated through hormonal interactions. Yeah. 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 And I, again, I think that it, that simply reflects the perspective of that type of study that they're looking for that right. if they were looking for the non-hormonal mechanism they might find it they might find <laughs> it yeah 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 for sure and you know it's funny because with supplemento again we've run into a lot of seeming contradictions right so we had talked about how the serb um in some contexts is referred to as anti-androgenic but <laughs> it's also considered anti-estrogenic in some sources as well um, and in trying to figure out what could be going on there, um, there's often a, a focus on those phytosterols that I mentioned, especially beta-cetosterol. Um, those are sometimes categorized as phytoestrogens. And phytoestrogens can get complicated, um, but one of the things that they can do in the body is they can go and they can bind to the same receptor sites that estrogen would like to bind to, except they have a weaker action on the cells that they attach themselves to. And so if you have a bunch of phytoestrogens in your body that, and uh, depending on what 
point you are in the course of your life. Right. If you're basically between uh, puberty and menopause, (laughs) then (laughs) at that point, uh, working with phytoestrogens can reduce your overall estrogenic activity. Okay. Maybe maybe we say estrogenic impact. Signaling. Yeah. Yeah. Because like... Um, some, you know, you still may be producing the same amount of estrogen, but the receptors are getting filled up by a lower, uh, if, if like a less effective version or less effective is also not quite accurate. They're Mm. differently effective. Yeah. And this is where we're going to get into alpha and beta estrogens. And we're not quite ready to talk about (laughs) all that yet. Yeah. Um, but, uh, sort of like, maybe we say a quieter estrogen right like a a less intense estrogen and because of that if you're filling all your receptors up with a lower volume um then the overall impact of estrogen in your body is going to be reduced or it's going to appear to have less expression yeah so where you turn your focus is going to is going to alter the way that you see this herb right if you look at it and you get really hooked on the phytosterols and you connect them to being phytoestrogens and then you go and you look Mm -hmm. at the way those can impact your body you can be like all right i could see where this could reduce estrogen activity or estrogen signaling Mm -hmm. if you focus more on those effects on testosterone and dht then you might say more of an anti-androgenic effect right so these things can all be kind of swirling around each other, and we're going to let them kind of hang there for, for just a little while longer. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So Even though it's really uncomfortable and I don't want to do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be okay. Um, you know, one other way to look at that is that maybe it's reducing that estrogenic activity specifically in the pelvic floor organs. Like, not everywhere in the body, mm-hmm. but right here where it has its affinity. Okay. That could be part of it, too. But if you look for saw palmetto for women, right, what you're going to find is actions centered around it for hair loss or excessive hair growth. Yeah, which is really... (laughs) Again, right? Um, But where these are associated with hormonal imbalances, Mm -hmm. right? That's the place you're going to see these these recommendations and, and where they're written for women. <laughs> right. right. Like if Which, you, if you sort of keep, put that whole thing in a, yeah. in quote marks in your search term, like right. saw palmetto for women, right. uh, then that this is what, this is what will come up. Yeah. Um, and of course, you know, this is in some sense what they're, what we're really talking about here is humans who have, uh, have a uterus and some ovaries and that kind of like equipment going on. This is mostly what they mean by that. Well, um, let's look at a couple of these, and uh, we can start with Jill Stansberry. Um, she's writing here in the Medical Herbalism Journal uh, that saw palmetto may be of use for women with polycystic ovaries, right, mm-hmm. PCOS, or uh, Stein-Leventhal disease, another case where there is elevated testosterone relative to estrogen, uh, hirsutism, which is um, excess hair growth, uh, cysts on the ovaries, anovulatory cycles, and menstrual irregularities. Liposterol constituents in Serenoa plants have been shown to inhibit the formation of dihydrotestosterone, okay, and may improve reproductive function in such women. Right. So, uh, again, here, this is really centered around these problems of what's always shorthanded as hormone imbalance, and I always mm-hmm. hesitate to even pronounce that phrase, but um, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but that is the, the kind of concept set that people are working with when they think about this plant. Uh, another author, another herbalist, uh, Cheryl Tilgner, uh, writes that saw palmetto is indicated for wasting of sexual organs. We see a callback to some of that eclectic work mm-hmm. there, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, underdeveloped breasts, lack of sexual desire. Okay, so again, that's kind of referring back to those those comments. 
Sopplamedos supports tissue nutrition of the urinary tract and has been widely used to treat benign prostatic hyperplasia, BPH. Sopplamedo acts on the primary signaling pathway by limiting DHT activity. It also decreases inflammation, uh, which is actually super important. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> actually feel like that's so much more important than all this DHT stuff. Right, but, okay, yeah, we'll yeah. Put it, yeah. Um, it's indicated for atony of pelvic organs. We've heard that before. Urethritis, uh, inflammation of the urethra, impotence, and all wasting diseases of the male pelvic organs. Okay, crossing some gender binaries here. Good, good. Uh, beneficial for undeveloped mammary glands, uh, enuresis, incontinence in children and the elderly, bedwetting, you know. Interstitial. I love that they leave people out in the middle. Like, there are so many reasons that incontinence can be a thing. Right. And it's not just for kids and the elderly. Like, Especially with interstitial cystitis following right afterwards. Right. I mean, it's an inflammatory problem around the bladder. It can lead to a little leaking here and there, you know? Yeah. Um, but she goes on chronic bladder infections and then jumps over to the respiratory system. Respiratory conditions like head colds, sore throats, bronchitis, um, and then, you know, other things that we've already we've already seen there. Uh, so uh, these are examples of modern herbalists who at least have some awareness of the variety of activities that the herb can mm -hmm. can exert. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, OK. We also had uh, some text here from restorativemedicine.org. I think this was written by a number of authors together. Uh, and here they're much more focused on these hormonal activities. That is the, um, I, I was just about to say AARP, but... Uh, American Association for Restorative Medicine? Yeah, AARM. Yeah. That's right. right. AARP is a different organization. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but so in this monograph about Sao Palmetto, uh, they write that genitourinary health and symptoms of conditions, including BPH, uh, non-bacterial prostatitis, and chronic pelvic pain syndrome. This is a hormonal modulator of estrogen and testosterone, uh, helpful for PCOS with hirsutism, right, that hair growth situation. They go on to talk about the, the fatty acids in here, the esters of them, the way they can act. And then we get our friend, 5-alpha uh, reductase, right, that enzyme, um, saying here that 5-alpha reductase is found in the adrenal glands and in the prostate, uh, and it converts testosterone into its most active form, DHT. And then they also comment about the beta-cetosterol and the phytoestrogenic effects, right? So they're kind of layering on these different hormonal activities and trying to keep them all in working memory at the same time, <laughs> you know. Uh, they comment that the um, liposterols are also doing that that inhibition of receptor binding of the androgens, right? That's that other side of, like, you reduce production, you prevent binding. Those are, like, two sides of the same coin in the end, right? Um, it's worth noting, though, that the reference they have about the receptor binding is in, hold on, cultured human foreskin fibroblasts. So this was an in vitro study, and it's important to remember that, right? A lot of what's referenced in this monograph about hormonal activity is about in vitro studies. And whether that translates directly into a free-living human is not actually a settled question. Right. In vitro means in a Petri dish, right? right. In controlled laboratory conditions where they were specifically trying to stimulate one specific action. Whether or not your body is going to stimulate that specific action is unclear. Yeah. Um, but they definitely regard this as what they'd call an anti-androgenic compound. Uh, and they comment that women with hirsutism and elevated testosterone may have excessive 5-alpha reductase activity, right? Which basically means too much DHT. Male pattern baldness, also called androgenic alopecia, 
and thinning of the hair in women uh, or men may also be initiated and promoted when this enzyme is upregulated. Sopamato has been shown to promote hair growth compared to placebo in men who have this particular kind of of baldness pattern going on, androgenic alopecia, right? Mm. And the herb might benefit women as well. And then they comment that those elevations in androgen are the hallmark of PCOS, uh, polycystic ovarian syndrome. Um, and basically that sapometto is a, a promising herb to consider uh, in cases like that because of this effect on these enzymes and on these hormone balances. You know, actually, as you're reading that, um, I really want to draw attention to the adrenal glands um, here. Yeah. yeah. And... And just say, like, we have all this data that comes from these studies, but something that they are not referencing is what else is going on in the adrenal glands? Mm-hmm. If, if Are these adrenal glands healthy? If they were healthy, would they be making the appropriate conversions, f- you know, for that person? Right. Um, and today I kind of don't think that anybody's adrenal glands are healthy. Um, in fact, I think that most of us have endocrine cascade problems because most of us are eating too much sugar, right? Like no matter how hard you try, it is very difficult to not eat too much sugar. Uh, cause your need for sugar, especially like added sugars is zero. In fact, um, and you know, like your need for an apple maybe, but like your need for, granulated sugar is is zero and it's very difficult to have zero sugar yeah yeah um and of course there's so many other things that are going to interfere with normal functioning of your adrenal glands right stress sleep deprivation sedentary habits right all the things that we love all all things that people have (laughs) like today everybody has too much stress everybody has sleep deprivation and uh, what was the other thing you said? that Sed- Sedentary habits. Right. Everybody yeah. has sedentary habits. I was like, nobody's getting enough movement. No, everybody has sedentary right, habits. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. And absolutely all of those are going to be relevant, especially when mm-hmm. we're talking about the impacts of like these organs of the stress response and the organs of your pelvic floor, where our sedentism manifests as sitting or as being like curled down and in and there's stagnation right. patterns that right. develop. So yeah, it's all going to fit in. It's all going to feed together. Um, and it would be lovely if we could have all of that in mind when like we're looking at context. the looking through the microscope. You know? None of that means that the data that they have seen so far is like wrong. I'm not saying, oh, well, y'all are y'all are stupid and everything you saw was wrong because you <laughs> didn't think of the adrenal gland health. Yeah, it, no. I, I just would like to have that as part of the context. Um, I think that it it would make the data much more relevant if we also had the other factors involved in the picture. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, so there again, we also saw, you know, these these more modern herbalists um, and research groups thinking about, uh, again, quote unquote, both genders there. Um, But it's helpful to kind of break that binary and Mm -hmm. look at some more varied expressions of human uh, sexuality and reproductive function. So uh, Larkin Bunce and Vildichaya Fenster-Ehrlich put together a great resource called Competent Care for Transgender, Genderqueer and Non-Binary Folks. Um, including some herbal uh, notes and considerations there. And they mention in it saw palmetto as potentially helpful for hair loss associated with testosterone therapy. But they note that it might interfere with some of the effects of exogenous testosterone, like when people are getting injections or getting treatments to to increase testosterone in their system. and going through their presentation, you know, you'll find that saw palmetto is mentioned both as a potentially masculinizing plant, 
and also as a potentially feminizing plant. On the masculinizing side, they comment that uh, it can slow conversion of testosterone to DHT, and then increasing serum levels of testosterone and decreasing scalp hair loss, that's that androgenic alopecia thing, uh, but also body hair development uh, de decreased as a result here. And they comment that it's an unknown impact on hormone levels when it's combined with synthetic hormones, right? So that's an area, that's a statement we could say about lots of plants, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. That yeah. this hasn't been, you know, deeply investigated yet, but uh, thankfully there is some progress, you know, getting along. On the feminizing side, they comment again that it can slow conversion of testosterone to DHT, potentially decreasing scalp hair loss, and also blocking some of the masculinizing effects of endogenous testosterone. So this would be somebody who's transitioning male to female and is, is trying to reduce the activity of their own testosterone uh, in the body. They comment that it may cause small amounts of breast development. Again, you can see that callback to the, uh, the eclectics mm -hmm. there, right? Yeah, I think that is unclear if that would be universal across all bodies. Right. Or also whether that would be universal across all times in the same body. Right. right? Yeah. 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 But again, we're seeing this kind of like binary um, or this kind of uh, some things argue in this direction, some things argue in that direction. It's a little bit kind of fuzzy in the middle there. Right. Yeah. So all told so far, what we've got is some theories about mechanism of action. We've got a variety of signals that the herb can support or inhibit in the body. And then based on all of that or emerging from all of that, we have an array of different visible effects. Mm. Okay. So now we can, uh, all right, we've looked historically, we've looked at the more modern perspective, both in the conventional realm and also in the herbal realm. Let's take a modern look at energetic actions, right? So um, energetics, again, that is the way that we would identify what's going on in the body and match that up with what's going on in a plant, the skills that a plant has, um, the jobs that it can do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we use, we use those same strategies, that same understanding in modern herbalism as well. We've like maybe updated a, a little <clears throat> bit from yeah. its original origins. Um, but so we can look in our practice and say, all right, what's going on in this body and figure out what actions we need to take. And we can think about the situations where we would work with saw palmetto and look at that energetically from this more modern perspective. Right, right. Um, so uh, uh, the herbalist Peter Holmes uh, has a book called Energetics of Western Herbs and has a great monograph about saw palmetto in there. Uh, and in it, he writes, from the energetic perspective, saw palmetto berries dominant sweet, oily, moist, warming qualities, restore and nourish weakness and cold in the urogenital and digestive tract. Mm. The remedy is a particularly effective nutritive tonic or tropho-restorative to the reproductive organs. So identifying there some key qualities, right? Moistening warming, right? Mm -hmm. Appropriate for cold and for weak or deficient states. Um, and then also having like that trophism or that like area in the body where it, where it acts uh, most notably. Right. By weakness, we can also hear that as laxity, right? Mm, yeah. um, and so especially because we're talking about urogenital, then we can think about prolapse, right? Yeah. That kind of um, sort of uh, like sagginess in general. Right. Yeah. So if we're thinking about BPH, we're thinking about swelling of the prostate, also some general area sagginess, right? Uh, we're thinking about stagnant fluids. 
we have uh, muscular and connective tissue laxity. And hold on a second. We also very commonly have insulin resistance or diabetes. It is super, super common to see these things together, so much so that insulin resistance and diabetes are considered a very um, prominent risk factor for BPH and for prostate problems in general. Among other things. (laughs) Right, right. Well, and that gets us into our other factor here. What does hyperplasia really mean? So that area you can have hyperplasia in lots of different places, that that area is producing too many cells, causing some swelling, causing enlargement, and also there are some retained fluids, right? So what are some really common other places to have hyperplasia? Guess what? The ovaries and the uterus. Uh, Ovarian hyperplasia is sometimes called hyperthecosis. the words are sort of interchangeable. Mm. And in the uterus, most commonly we see that as endometrial hyperplasia, right? Mm. The risk of both of these is much, much higher in people who are insulin resistant or people who have diabetes. All right, well, let's think about insulin resistance and diabetes. That is a cold state, right? That is a state of some stagnation, some coldness, some laxity. Damp accumulations. Yes, right. All of these things are things that saw palmetto can help with, right? So if we are working backwards, hyperplasia can happen regardless of what kind of reproductive organs you have. And it is much more likely to happen in a state of insulin resistance. So would I just say, well, I'm not going to work with saw palmetto for this person with ovarian hyperplasia because saw palmetto is for prostates. That would be so silly. The factors are so similar. Of course I would consider saw palmetto, right? Like energetically, it wouldn't make any sense to rule out, even if historically nobody had ever tried it for things other than prostates. Mm. It still wouldn't make sense for me to not try it because all of the energetic factors, like the environment that I'm working with is the same. Yeah. Just the difference is, is it an ovary or a prostate? Is it an endometrial lining or a prostate? Well, goodness, those are also very, very similar. Yeah, absolutely. So what does this all mean for you? (laughs) Dear listener, what does this mean for you, right? Well, as is often the case, likely you're going to need to try it and see how it does for you. Hey, I did. She did that. (laughs) That's why we're talking about this. Well, one of the many reasons, but yeah. And so this is like always the final and I think maybe most important aspect of herbal learning is you go to every possible source, you learn as much as you can, and then you have to try it and find out what your personal experience is and try to understand that in the context of everything that you've learned so far. Right, right. Yeah. All right. So I tried it. Um, And some background here, like very tiny case study. Um, I often work with mullen root and with uva ursi to help with pelvic floor insufficiency, um, which for me is mild prolapse um, and mild incontinence issues that are common uh, in people my age in this culture. Um, uh, as expected, as you would probably guess, especially if this is not your first time uh, studying with us, uh, I have some pelvic stagnancy due to, you know, my participation in this sedentary culture, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but also my own personal constitutional tendency towards stagnation. Um, And so 
this is work I already had been doing for a long time. And, and with and with Mullen Root and Uva Ursi, what we've got there is uh, diuretics, uh, mm -hmm. pelvic floor tonics, astringent herbs with an affinity to this region. Right. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to see, would saw palmetto um, be as effective or be similarly effective as these other two plants that I already had been working with and seeing good effects? And I had already been working with those two for mm, eight eight or 10 years at the point at which I started working with saw palmetto to see if I could have similar effects. Mm -hmm. um, so typically I actually, you know, often we talk about formulation, but in this case, typically I work with these as simples. For a while, I will take mullein root, usually for like a month or so. I don't like do it on a calendar, but it just sort of works out that way. And then I'll switch up and take some uva ursi, that I, t I, I um, typically do for only like two weeks. When I work with mullein root, I do that as tincture. When I work with uva ursi, I do that as tea. Mm -hmm. And m more than two weeks of uva ursi tea is kind of rough on the kidneys. Uh, so I sort of leave it right around that week and a half or two weeks. Um, so I added in saw palmetto as a capsule. Uh, I took the Gaia brand saw palmetto capsules. Um, and in my experiments, I typically took it for a month at a time because that's about how long a bottle would last uh, before switching in the rotation to mullein root as tincture or uva ursi as tea. Mm -hmm. And um, what I found was that it was basically equally effective. Um, pretty much straight across the board, I didn't see any disruption in benefit. Right. Like the benefits that I already expected to see from the mullein root and the uva ursi continued with the saw palmetto, which also checks with my hypothesis. Right. It should have provided the same sort of benefit. Um, now, what I have not yet tried is as a tincture or a decoction. Um, I do plan to do both of those things, but I haven't gotten to it yet. But I have done, I think, four rounds with the capsules. Um, over time. So swapping that in and out at, at different, like different times of the year. Um, because again, you're not, you're not the same all the time. So trying it multiple times to make sure. Um, and for me, I saw very positive results. Uh, and that is, that's an important data point. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right. And, uh, you know, you can't take Katya's. You got to make your own. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, my data point is a point of data for you, but it still doesn't, it, it still isn't completely relevant in your body, right? Yeah. No matter what I like or don't like, what, no matter what works for me or doesn't work for me, we won't know for sure how it works for you until you try it. Yeah. Or any person. Yeah. And so the next, the, like the, the logical next question when someone says, well, you should probably try it for yourself is how safe is it for me to try it out yeah. like that? <laughs> Great question. Yeah. Great question. All right. So let's try to answer that one. Um, you know, and in this particular case, it's an easy answer because there is so much, there's so much, um, experience happening and there's so much study happening. So we yeah. have a lot of data. Right. Yeah. By experience, like this is one of the most popular herbs uh, on the market and mm -hmm. it has been for decades. Like uh, it's one of your top selling plants, you know, mm -hmm. so um, so there is a lot of good, good information about it that way. Um, if there were like rampant, serious safety problems, we would know by now because of how many people have been taking it for how long. Right. You know? yeah. Right. 
Um, our favorite safety reference is called the Botanical Safety Handbook, second edition. Um, <laughs> really matters. And, uh, you know, they have like a rating system, uh, and this herb is a 1A herb in their system. That means that it's uh, uh, low risk for any kind of uh, adverse events, uh, and also that it doesn't have any known uh, drug interactions to be concerned about. Great. That's yes. good news for us. Yes. Um, uh, when they when they looked for adverse events, um, they found that they were similar to placebo in all cases. So again, it doesn't seem to be a dangerous kind of a substance. Uh, interestingly, um, looking through the, the write-up about this in the Botanical Safety Handbook, we both noted that in vitro studies, in a, in a petri dish study, they did find some action of this herb or its extract on liver enzymes. And that's relevant because though if you alter the way those liver enzymes work, you can alter the metabolism of other medications or, or mm -hmm. drugs or things that you might, might take into your body. Mm -hmm. So in, in vitro, in the GLASS study, they saw that happen. But this same effect was not observed in human trials. And that's a very important point. Uh, in this case, it basically means that if you only looked at the Petri dish study, you might think, oh, I'm going to have problems because that's going to alter the metabolism of my Prozac or my Allegra or my whatever else. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's not actually borne out in human experience. And it's been directly tested in this, in this case, right? right, right. Um, but it's an important point that's broader than just that one example. This may be true about many of the known or the discovered uh, micro-level activities of the herb and its constituents. And this is true for every plant. It's not, not unique right. to saw palmetto. Just because you can see it in a Petri dish with a microscope does not mean that it is going to happen in your body. Yeah. Yeah. That problem is particularly acute when it comes either to, well, antimicrobial herbs would be a really big uh, category mm -hmm. there. Any of your antibacterial, antiviral, antifungal plants, like always try to make the connection uh, or, or see if there is any possible connection between I squirt the substance onto a colony of critters in a petri dish and they die versus where do they live in my body and how is it going to get there if I take it orally or put it on topically? Right. Is that even possible? Can it get at the right concentration? So with those antimicrobial herbs, that's a really big break between an in vitro study and an in vivo study, like in living critters. Um, another big category we run into problems like that is hormonally active mm -hmm, herbs, right? Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times when people say that this herb has activity on a hormone, what they base that on might be, well, we uh, took some uterine cells out of a Chinese hamster. That's a species, like a type of hamster. They just use them a lot in these studies. Uh, we put them into a Petri dish and gave them some stuff to grow on and to cultivate and made a little like, you know, a little nest of them in there. Uh, and then we put some extract of our saw palmetto berry or some other herb on it. And we measured how much uh, hormones was in it before and after. And that's where we say it causes this hormone to be secreted or whatever. So a lot of them are based on that, right? Yeah. Some of them are based on, like, we take your blood, we give you the herb for some amount of time, and then we take your blood again. That's a much different situation. Um, and even that is still imperfect. It is. Right? Because horm serum hormone levels, like the amount of a particular hormone in your blood at any given moment, is not necessarily a reflection of what's going on in your body in mm -hmm. that moment. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, not to say we're throwing out all of the all of the bathwater and the baby and everything else, <laughs> you know. Uh, we we want to take from these kind of kind of information sources what we can, but we just have to keep these kind of uh, awarenesses in mind whenever we're talking about about herbal activities, mm -hmm. but especially these ones that are are primarily understood through the use of microscopes and lab devices. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Um, about safety, I did find a couple case reports of um, these were prepubescent uh, girls, and they were basically growing too much hair, and uh, they or their parents or whoever was making this decision was trying to get that to stop. They were taking saw palmetto berry supplements, and they ended up getting hot flashes. Um, so my advice for you is don't really give this herb to kids. Uh, we had mentioned the bedwetting thing previously. Mm-hmm. That would be a short-term kind of intake, right? That would be very different from a case like this where it would have to be a chronic, you know, kind of a long-term intake situation. Also, honestly, if it was bedwetting, like... Oh, come on. I mean, I, yarrow, even corn silk, so if many, it was made from organic... There's so you know, many I, other herbs. And yeah. if I really was going to work with saw palmetto for bedwetting, I'm, I think it would be a decoction. Probably. Or tincture, but it definitely wouldn't be capsules. Yeah. yeah, You know, capsules, we also have to recognize that the capsules are standardized and they're standardizing towards BPH efficacy. Right, right. Yeah. And that is not the same as working with the whole plant. Exactly. So um, it is not, it's not necessarily bad, but it's, it's not the same as old data from the 1800s about bedwetting. Right, right. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, also keep in mind that when there is conflicting data, um, including in some of the, the lab reports and things, um, but also about these questions of safety or, or adverse event reports or that kind of thing, mm-hmm. um, that it, a lot of it is due to variance in the material that they're studying. And by that, I mean specific products or preparations of the herb, right? right? You can make a lot of different preparations of saw palmetto berry. And that's true whether we're talking about like decoction versus tincture versus some kind of extract. But within the realm of extract, you could use like alcohol to make your extraction and then boil it off and be left with what's what's there. You could also use this other menstruum called hexane. And a lot of the saw palmetto products are made with a hexane um, uh, menstruum initially because that's going to get you a lot of what are called lipophilic constituents. And when we're talking about fatty acids or phytosterols, those are all lipophilic. They, they would be drawn out by an oily kind of a medium. Hexane is, is like a chemical that behaves like an oil, even though it's not one um, in this regard. So they're often used to make, to make these products. Mm. Um, and, but again, like if you don't know exactly, like if you're, if you're looking at a study, if you're looking at a case report and it says that it was a saw palmetto product, that doesn't tell you really what they were taking or what they were working with, right? Right, you need to actually get to the methods part of the study, which might be behind a paywall. You might not be able to see that without giving somebody money, Hmm. but you need to get to the methods part of the study to find out, like, what were they actually studying? Uh, Was it a particular brand of something with a particular type of ratio of of different um, constituents Mm -hmm. or or was it 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 was never a decoction of the berries and rarely was it a tincture either (laughs) right right yeah yeah Yeah. and especially because with this particular herb um uh a little further back maybe in the the 90s or so there were a lot of studies that were about a particular product that had saw palmetto as one of its ingredients but it had like eight other herbs in it and also, later investigations revealed that it had a bunch of medications in it, pharmaceutical drugs yeah. put into that supplement, all natural thing. Um, and so I would basically throw all of those out. Uh, yeah. If I was trying to put together material about Sopamato, I'd say this is not relevant. Right. Um, it's, it's just not, uh, it's yeah. not, it's not relevant. <laughs> Any study done on that particular product right. needs to be like, I don't know. Re- Set it aside, you know? 
but also relabeled yeah. in the literature. It needs to be relabeled as not a saw palmetto study. Yeah. You know? Right. Yep. So, you know, about preparations, uh, decoction is probably the oldest uh, known method for working with mm-hmm. this, aside from just straight up eating it, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, straight away. Um, tincture. Uh, alcohol extract is what our eclectic and physiomedicalist friends were working with primarily. Mm. Um, towards the end of their run, you know, up into like the 1910s or so, they were experimenting with some like more complicated chemistry um, to try to do different sorts of extracts there. But still, mostly they were just working with with standard tinctures. Mm-hmm. Uh, nowadays, most of these supplements you're going to find are going to be an extract. And those are generally, like you said, standardized. A lot of times you'll see them give a, a fatty acid uh, content or a percentage. Usually it's like 85%. Um, and so that's very different from what's occurring in the plant itself, mm-hmm. where there would be fibers and starches and other stuff along with them. Maybe relevant for medicine, maybe not, but these products assume that they're not, right? right. Like you said, they're, they're targeted towards what seems to be or what's understood to be the most important thing for BPH in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, where There's trying... so much more in the plant than just, you know, and, and to, to say like only this part of the plant is important and all the rest of it just isn't relevant mm-hmm. feels, uh, folly. It's a little limiting, right? Yeah. And, and it, we shouldn't expect that those products are going to have the full range of impacts that some of these older authors were describing, right? Mm-hmm. Where they were working with tincture, expect to get that effect from tincture, right. but uh, an extract like this, standardized, you know, concentrated, may not give you that same range. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, uh, the fact that those kinds of capsules are pretty consistently standardized in basically the same way, um, and because there's such a high market volume of them, uh, one one little piece of information you can take from that is that they're standard across different sellers, and so you don't really need to spend too much time chasing down a claim from one product manufacturer that ours is so much better than all of the yeah, others. No. <laughs> uh, everybody makes that claim. Everybody with a business, and hey, that's fine. You know, you do your thing. But uh, from what I can tell from looking at the labels and what they reveal to us about their proprietary process, mm-hmm. uh, it's basically the same one repeated over and over again. Right, unless they're <laughs> putting other things in there. Yeah. Then yeah. the effects would be the same if their standardized product is the same. Yeah. yeah. So find a brand you trust. Uh, but not because they say that they've got a magic process that's going to give you the best saw palmetto extract on the planet, right? Yeah. Also, um, one of our favorite teachers, Paul Bergner, uh, and this is from 1997, so I should maybe write and check in and see (laughs) see if you still think this today, but uh, he's writing in the Medical Herbalism Journal and says, there's no support for the assertion of the herb marketers that the liposterolic extracts are any better than a standard tincture, Mm -hmm. one of the forms used by the eclectics in Bloyer's Day as because no head-to-head trials of the forms have been performed, right? Mm -hmm. Like we get a group of people, we have you a placebo, we give you the capsule extract and we give you the tincture and try to make the doses equivalent and all that kind of stuff and then see what happens, right? Right. So that hasn't been done. And so we can't make that direct comparison, but several trials of ethanolic extracts, tinctures in Europe have shown effectiveness for symptoms of BPH. So we at least have that much data. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, Yeah, I would really love to see that kind of study. But, uh, you know, if if they can't, the purpose of studies is not public education. The purpose of studies is to find something that they can make money with. And there's not, like, that's not bad. But 
it's just important to recognize that they're not going to just study something for the public good. They're not just going to say, huh, I wonder, let's just study this for fun. Mm -hmm. That's not really how studies work. Uh, they're, they're trying to find something that they can make a product out of. And when we keep that in mind, it's very helpful because then we say, okay, well, that doesn't imply that it wouldn't be better some other way. It merely implies that this is the most direct route they could see mm -hmm. to a profitable product. And so that is what they're going to study. Yeah. So again, if you're interested in working with Sal Palmetto, try a supplement mm -hmm. from a brand you trust, right? Try a tincture, uh, try a decoction while you're at it. See yeah. if they all do the same kind of job in your body or whether one of them is preferable for you, right? It's really worth trying. Yeah. yeah. But uh, stepping back a little, looking, <laughs> looking broader than just this one herb, right? What are some lessons we can take away from uh, this, uh, this exploration that we've been doing today? <laughs> yeah. You know, I think one of them right off the top is, is just, you know, that we need to let go of what we think we know uh, about herbs for reproductive health. Honestly, maybe we need to let go of what we think we know about a lot of things mm. um, and allow ourselves to think and rethink curiously creatively and critically, but not skeptically, right? Critically, like in an analytical kind of way. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And we also um, can take this example uh, here uh, as a, as a inspiration for the mm. variety of ways we can look at all of the research uh, available, the research and the experience available, right? Yeah. Historical, modern, conventional energetic perspectives, mm -hmm. uh, personal experience, right? How we can draw on all of these different sources of information, bring them together and come to some conclusions about how we can best work with herbs, or at least recognize that we might've been limited in what we thought was possible to, to do with that plant, uh, together with that plant uh, previously. Yeah, mm -hmm. this work is constant. Uh, you never get to stop doing this part, no matter how long you've been in practice. Every body is different. My body, Rin's body, your body, the bodies of your friends, the bodies of our friends, every single one of us is different. Um, and so every time that we work with a plant and a new person, we learn new things. We can't go into any situation, like we can go in with a hypothesis, we can go in with an educated guess, we can go in with a theory that we wanna test, but we can't go into a situation saying, this is what's going to be true in your body. I'm not in your body, right? <laughs> I can't know what's true in your body, only you can know that. And so we can say, all right, we've studied a lot of things and based on all of that, uh, we have an idea that this could be a good thing. Let's try it and find out if in fact it is right for your body. Mm -hmm. And then sort of the flip side is, just because you read in a book somewhere or I read in a book somewhere or anybody reads in a book somewhere that says, well, this is only for a particular gender or this is only for a particular problem. That's not how herbs work. Herbs don't check your gender. They don't check what somebody else thinks your gender should be. <laughs> they yeah. don't check, um, you know, what diagnosis you have. They look at the environment and say, wow, it's really boggy and stagnant around here. I guess I better squeeze some of this extra fluid out because that's what I know how to do. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I hope that this was interesting for you and gives you some new ways to think about what you already know about plants and people and what you want to know about plants and people and how you might get there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's always good to have a lot of options for the way that we understand our plants and ourselves. Yes. <laughs> cool. All right, so we'll be back again next time with some more Holistic Herbalism podcasts for you. Until then, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, drink some tea. Drink some tea. And, uh, oh, also maybe take some tincture or perhaps some supplements, depending on what's the right thing for you. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Bye Bye-bye.